0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldenk, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson.
1: Then for a little bit, we go back to Peter and the Jews in Jerusalem, and then after chapter 11, Peter falls off the stage and it's nothing but Paul. And that way you can see it's such a change. Now, also, I think it always helps wherever we are in the scripture, and I've been, I think I'm getting to be known for my timeline teaching. And even in the book of Acts, I like to show a timeline. How that chronologically, in time, all these things happened which fit this whole transitional thing. Now I went ahead and put them on the board during our break time. You want to remember that, according to our latest chronology now, Christ was crucified in A.D. 29. And, of course, 50 days after his resurrection, you had Pentecost. So, Pentecost in A.D. 29. Then, seven years later, you have the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Now, that's a seven-year period of time. A lot of people don't realize that. But seven years from Pentecost until Stephen's martyrdom. Then it's only one year after Stephen's martyred when you have Saul converted on the road to Damascus. Then a year after Saul's conversion, you've got Peter going to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, or A.D. 38. Then in A.D. 40 which is three years after Paul's conversion in 37, in A.D. 40, Paul and Peter meet in Jerusalem just for a little short period of time, I think for two weeks, and none of the other apostles, just Paul and Peter. Then Paul goes on up into the area of his old hometown of Tarsus, ends up at Antioch, and then begins his missionary journeys. Then after he's been holding forth up at Antioch and taking his gospel now to the Gentiles, the Jerusalem believers get all shook up and they call him down to Jerusalem for the council of Acts chapter 15. And that Jerusalem council is also referred to, of course, in Galatians chapter 2. And that takes place in A.D. 51. Now, when we come to it verse by verse, we're going to see that at this point in time, in Acts 15, Peter, remembering now what took place at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, comes to Paul's defense and he says, You know how that a good while ago, God by my mouth went to the Gentiles? Well, what was the good while ago? Thirteen years. Thirteen years have elapsed from the time that Peter saw the house of Cornelius converted until he comes to Paul's defense in Acts 15. Now, in that 13-year interval, has Peter been going to Gentiles? No way. He went right back to Jerusalem. He's still dealing only with his own people, the nation of Israel. But time is rolling on. And so here we've come now to Stephen in 36, Saul's conversion in 37, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius in 38, Paul comes back from his three years of of seminary training with the Lord alone at Mount Sinai, I think, in Arabia. And so after that three years, from 37 to 40, he meets that short moment of time in Jerusalem. And then he's called on the carpet in A.D. 51. And then, of course, he writes his letters, Romans and Galatians and so forth, within this time frame from A.D., oh, what, A.D. 46, 48, when he writes his earliest letters, until he's martyred in about 67, 68. And in AD 70, the temple's destroyed. And Israel is scattered into the world. Now, that's the book of Acts. Forty years. Forty years. But the first, the first seven, eight years is still God dealing with Israel. Then he raises up the Apostle Paul and he begins that Gentile... Uh, dealing with the house of Cornelius, even at Peter's preaching. And again, it had to be that way so that Peter could come to Paul's defense here. And then you see the whole thing going. Israel falls away. The Gentiles are coming up. The church is coming up. And and that's the book of Acts. Now, I think most of us have always had it hammered into us. I did. That the book of Acts was the account of the birth of the church. Well, it is. But primarily, I prefer to look at the book of Acts as the fall of the nation of Israel. Because here in the book of Acts, we're going to see that Israel finally rejects their Messiah completely. They'll not have him to be their king, and God puts them into dispersion, takes away their temple... And he turns to the Gentile. Oh, not exclusively. Some Jews are still being saved. But for the most part, the last 1900 and some years have been God calling out Gentiles comprising the body of Christ. But we're not up to that point in time yet as we come into the book of Acts. All right, so now let's just in the next few minutes take the first few verses. And Acts, of course, is written by the same gentleman who wrote the gospel of Luke. And so Luke writes this, and he says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, that is, his gospel account, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. In other words, Luke makes mention of the fact that his gospel only dealt with Christ's earthly ministry. Verse 2, Until, there's that time word, from the time of Christ's earthly ministry until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, who were the chosen apostles? Well, the eleven. Judas is out, and so there's eleven left. All right, verse 3. So it's to these eleven that he showed himself alive after his passion, that is, after his death, burial, resurrection, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. Now, we used this verse a couple weeks ago. Now, look at the next statement. In this forty-day period between his resurrection and now his ascension, he has been speaking... To especially the eleven, concerning what? The kingdom. See? The kingdom. And what have I said about the kingdom? I said it in my class again the other night. The kingdom is the kingdom is the kingdom is the kingdom. There's only one kingdom in Scripture. And it's the kingdom that is going to be set up on this earth, and He's going to rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and yes. You and I are already citizens of that kingdom which tonight is in heaven. Christ is the king, absolutely, but he's not the king, as I said a week or so ago, of the church. He's the head of the body, but we are members of that kingdom. Colossians 1 makes it so plain that we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And when the Son returns and sets up His kingdom on this earth, we're going to be part and parcel of it. And all then, He has for forty days been speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, as we go on into the book of Acts, you're going to see that Peter now and the other ten, and then they're going to be filled up with Matthias in uh, chapter 1, I think it is. But these twelve men, are so expectant of the king setting up his kingdom now that this is just going to fill every moment of their existence. And this is why Peter just almost burns himself out in these early days after Pentecost, preaching to the nation of Israel that the one they crucified was indeed their king. And if they could just believe it, the king would yet return, and they could have the kingdom, and all these Old Testament promises of going to the Gentiles it would have been theirs. But see, God in his foreknowledge knew they wouldn't do it. They're going to reject it. But let's not put the horse behind the cart or the cart ahead of it. Let's just take it as it comes now. And so then in verse 4, After 40 days of talking to them about the kingdom, their role in it. Remember what he said back in Matthew 19? And you shall sit upon 12 thrones, ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. Of course they will. Oh, let's look at it. So that you get the, the emotion that is driving these 11 men. Back to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, beginning of verse 27, Matthew 19, verse 27, and then answered Peter and said unto him, that is, unto Jesus, behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee, what shall we have therefore? See how human they are. They're not talking about their salvation. He knows they've got that. But what's in it? What are we going to have? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you who have followed me, comma... Now, you've got to be careful in punctuation. See, if you take that comma out, then it makes it sound as though you've been following me in the regeneration. Done right? But that comma tells you, No, that's not the way it's to be read. But you who have followed me... These last three years, comma, in the regeneration, which is still future, that's the kingdom of course, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging or ruling whom? Twelve tribes of Israel. Oh, but now we've got a dilemma. We need twelve men. And how many have we got? Eleven. So what's going to be the first order of business? Hey, filling that vacant position. Now, it's only logical. And yet I have read over the years good men who have castigated poor old Peter and have blamed him for getting in a hurry, running ahead of everything. He should have waited for Paul. Listen, Paul wouldn't have fit in that slot any more than a square peg in a round hole. No way. He didn't fill the qualifications. And so Peter was right on. He was in perfect accord to the will of God when he immediately took steps to fill that 12th slot because he is expecting the Lord's return in short order. He doesn't see 1,900 and some years down the road. Peter sees that Old Testament program that after Christ was rejected... He would be raised from the dead. He would be ascending to the Father, and then the tribulation, and then the king would return and set up his kingdom. And so this is what drives these 11 men later again to be 12 because of the promise now of this coming kingdom. All right, now let's read on. Verse 4, "...being assembled together with Him. He, that is Christ, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but they were to wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, that is the Father, Jesus is speaking, you have heard of me. And then verse 5, for John truly baptized with what? Water. Now this is Jesus speaking. John truly baptized with water. But, now those of you who've been in my class and those of you who've been listening on television now for four years, whenever you see that word but, what have you got? Flip side. See? Flip side. Every time. Oh, he said John baptized with water. But the flip side is, you're going to be baptized differently. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I think I've got time. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. (coughs) I'll probably run out of time. Matthew chapter 3. Drop down again to verse 11 where we're dealing with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, quoted, of course, by Matthew, by inspiration, "...I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance." But, here's that flip again. There's going to be a change. "...He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear." He, speaking of the Christ, of the Lord Jesus, He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now again, who is John the Baptist addressing? Jews. He doesn't have Gentiles in his crowd. But to the Jews, he says, Jesus, the Christ, is going to baptize you with or into the what? The Holy Spirit. Now, I always like to put this in legal terms. I've always had some lawyers in my classes and, uh, it, it, it kind of helps when they put their, uh, okay on all this. As you read this verse, you'll find that Jesus is going to be the baptized E or Er? Er. Jesus is going to be the baptizer. And he's going to baptize the Jews, that's who he's talking to, into the Holy Spirit. All right. When did Jesus do that? Well, at Pentecost, because that was a Jewish feast day. It was the nation of Israel that was gathered. And down came the Holy Spirit with power. And it was the Jews' valid offer again to have experienced that power of the Holy Spirit to do what? Miracles and signs and wonders as Jesus had done. And so this was the nation's prospect that they could just literally carry on as individual believing Jews what Christ had been doing for three years. And how would he manifest it? By placing them into the very power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll get into that in the next half hour when we get to the next verse, or chapter uh, 1, verse 8, where he says, you shall receive power. And so that was the whole concept, that Jesus would be the baptizer, Israel would be the baptized ease All right, now let me show you the flip side. Now turn all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to have to start with verse 12. 1 Corinthians... Chapter 12, starting at verse 12, where Paul, of course, is now writing to the church of Corinth, which was basically Gentile. Now he comes up with a term that is strictly Pauline. Jesus never spoke of the body of Christ. Peter never spoke of the body of Christ. Only Paul does. And so Paul now, in verse 12, is using our human body as an illustration. And so he says, For as the body, our human body, is one, it functions as one unit, but it hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. In other words, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, everything that makes up our being operates from a central nervous system, from a central place of thinking and so forth, operates as one. But it has all these members. All right, now what does he say? So also is Christ. And he's making the allusion to the body of Christ. We've got all these different people that are making up the body of Christ, rich and poor, black and white, whatever. From all around the world, they have come into the body of Christ. They're all different. They all have their culture. But yet, if they've all been saved by the same power and the same gospel, then what are we? We're one in Christ. And I dare say that you and I could go to the Philippines tonight, and we could go into a class of believers in the Philippines, and in five minutes you'd feel perfectly at home. You could bring people from any other part of the world you can think of. If they're born again, children of God, they could come into this class and they'd feel right at home. Why? Because we are one in Christ. All right. How did we get there? Now, here's the crucial question. How do we get into this unique... I don't like to call it an organization. It's an organism. How do we get into this living organism that we call the body of Christ? All right. Verse 13. For by one spirit Spirit. Capitalized. Who are we talking about? Holy Spirit. So, by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are we, what's the next word? All. Not just the elite, not just the few, but every born again believer are all what? Baptized into not the local church, but the what? The body. The body. And the body is that universal, complex makeup of born again believers. No unbeliever goes into the body of Christ. No unbeliever. Now, you can baptize boo-coo people and make them members of local churches and they can be as lost as a dog. But they're baptized. But they're not in the body of Christ. But the true child of God, the moment he is saved, the moment he's been born by the work of the Spirit, he is baptized by the Holy Spirit into that body. Now, that's the one that counts for eternity. And regardless of whether you've been baptized any other way, by Jordan water or by Timbuktu river water, that makes no difference. But if when you've been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, you're His. You're safe for eternity. All right. So for by one Spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, bond or free. I'll even put, if I may... Whatever color, whatever race, whatever our lot in life, rich or poor, makes no difference. We have all been made to drink or partake into that one spirit for the body that is the body of Christ is not one member, but many. Now, if you'll read your Bible, you'll notice that that, as I said, is a term unique only to Paul, the church which is his body the body of Christ, which is the church. And that makes all the difference in there. All right, so now then, let's put us back up here, whereas early on and as we come into the early part of Acts, Jesus is the baptizer. He's going to baptize the Jew into the power of the Holy Spirit. But now you see Paul completely flips that. And now the Holy Spirit becomes the baptizer baptizing predominantly, not exclusively, I hope I'm not getting too low for the camera, Gentiles into the what? Into the body of Christ. Can you get that on the board, Sharon? Now you see that? There is a whole complete 180 degree turn in operation. As we come out of the Gospels and into the book of Acts, God dealing with the nation of Israel, Christ is the baptizer. He is placing the Jew, as they believe, into the power of the Holy Spirit to perform the signs and the miracles and what have you that would continue Christ's earthly ministry. But when that fell apart, Israel rejected it. God turned to the Gentile, and we have a complete flip. And now the Holy Spirit becomes the baptizer, and, I mean, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit becomes the baptizer, and he places us into Christ. Just the opposite. Whereas first the Holy Spirit placed the Jew into the Holy Spirit, or the Jesus placed the Jew into the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit places the Gentile into Christ. And you see that? And oh, they're just boo-coo verses. Colossians chapter 3. For you are hid in Christ in God. Well, how did you get in Christ when the Holy Spirit baptized you into it? And that wasn't with water.
0: thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldic. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldic Ministries. Route one, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, seven four five five two. That's Les Feldic Ministries. Route one box seven sixty, Kenta, Oklahoma, seven four five five two. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one. 1- 800 369 7856. That's 1 800 369 7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kansas, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening. And please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.